You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. So get a Bible open, find your way to Matthew chapter 6, and here's where we're at. We're in a brand new series, the second week of a brand new series that we started. It's titled, The Questions Jesus Asked. Jesus asked some amazing, life-giving questions that are quite profound. And uh, today we're going to look at some of those questions. Last week we started our series... We looked at some interesting questions he asked. I've got a lot of feedback this week from you on how it spoke to you. Uh, One of the questions was, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a honking plank in your own eye, right? Good question. Uh, uh, And it it causes some... uh, some examination of this critical spirit that we're just prone to have and why we do that. Uh, We went into that in depth last week. We also looked at a great question Jesus asked when he said, um, what do you want me to do for you? And that question was profound. Like, uh, we have this living God who is the creator of the universe, who is eternal, And it has created you to know him forever. And what are we asking for? Temporal things? And so it was a good study last week as we looked at these questions. Well, today we're going to continue on in these profound questions that Jesus asked. And this is the question that we're going to be looking at today. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? Ah. If you don't know, a cubit is the length from your elbow to your fingertip. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your height? If I could, I would probably add a cubit. Uh, (laughs) But I can't. And if you think about Jesus' question, here's what he's asking. Which of you, by worrying, ever grow from it? Do you ever grow from your worrying? And the answer is a resounding what? No. So maybe I might want to take a look at that. Well, we're going to jump into that today. We are all prone to worry from time to time. Uh, None of us are immune. We all get tempted to worry. Uh, But I want you to know worry becomes an obsession for many people. And today, that is clearly the case. We live in a world where people are obsessed with worrying. In June of 2022, just to be a year ago, June of 22, the Gallup Research Group did a survey on worry. And they did it in 122 countries, including the United States. And they found that 42% of people struggle significantly with worry and anxiety in the last 24 hours. Wow. I knew the number would be high, but that response shocked me. I would maybe expect that if you said, how many of you struggled with worry in the last year? But struggling with worry in the last 24 hours 
the amazing response was 42% of humanity struggles with worry. I wonder how high that percentage would have been if they would have asked how many struggle in the last year. Wow, if it's 42% for the last 24 hours, I can only imagine. And here's the problem. Worry is not only unproductive, uh, just a giant waste of time, but even worse than that, worry can be harmful to us. It can really damage us both physically and spiritually. Both ways, it can cause great harm to us. We know from science that worry triggers in our bodies, uh, it triggers stress hormones to be released. And over time, these hormones can have a negative effect upon our heart health, actually causing heart attacks. It has a negative effect on our immune system. We actually get sicker and we don't fight off uh, uh, viruses and diseases because of worry. We know that worry uh, really wrecks havoc with our digestive system, people getting ulcers all the time and that kind of thing. Uh, and it messes with our nervous system. Uh, people get uh, nervous problems and mental illnesses from worry. And hospitals today are filled with people who have physical problems because of worry and because of anxiety. And we have seen that Big Pharma has made a giant multi-billion dollar business on this with antidepressants and all kinds of medications to treat people's anxiety and worry. And they're making billions of dollars from it. But more uh, importantly, millions of people's lives are being disrupted. And millions of people's lives are being made unenjoyable because of worry and because of fear. Now, we all struggle with the temptation to worry. But today we're going to see Jesus give us some really good reasons to trust him instead of worry. And to realize and to actually focus on some really good things to think about so that we will have tools next time that temptation comes to make us worry how to deal with those, uh, those temptations. Uh, there's a running joke in our family, the Menard family. Uh, I'm a father of four. And uh, one of my greatest joys in life was when the kids were little. Uh, if you're a dad here today and you are raising a young family and you're like, how long are we going to be in diapers? I can't wait to get out of diapers. Hey, I want to just remind you, you're going to look back on this time that you're in and go, it is one of the best seasons of life. And I remember the time when my uh, third son, Nathan, I have three boys and a little girl at the end who's uh, the princess of my life. Uh, uh, but my third son, Nathan, uh, uh, he had a nickname as a little boy. I called him Rascal Boy because he was just he was just happy boy. It's like for Nathan, he's still this way today. The glass is never half full. The glass is overflowing and bubbling over, and, and that's just his personality, right? Just happy everywhere he goes. Uh, but I had the joy of teaching him how to swim when he was about four or five years old. And dads, again, you know, teaching your kids how to play kickball, coaching them on the soccer team, coaching them in baseball, doing uh, Indian guides, all just, well, just treasures, right? Treasures. Well, teaching your kid how to ride a bike or teaching your kid how to swim, just a big treasure. 
Well, Nathan, this kid who's just always happy and full of life, he was a little worried about swimming. And, uh, you know, I'm holding him and I'm swimming him. And I would say, Nathan, you have no worries. I got you, pal. I've got you. You're okay. Uh, and I was trying to get him to go like six inches from my hands to the side, right? And from the side to my hands, right? And Nathan, you have no worries. And, and that wasn't working. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just get him. And we go out in the water. And I'm kind of just walking him through the water, just like splashing. And, and uh, he's like on the edge, you know, that wants to have fun, but he's, he's stressed. And uh, so I go, Nathan, you have no worries. And uh, I had said that a few times, and he comes back and he goes, Daddy, I have worries, Daddy, I have worries. <laughs> I am quite sure he had no idea what a worry was, but he had them, right? <laughs> Whatever they are. And uh, uh, worries can take us away from the joys of experiencing life. Worrying can take us away from the joy of the present. And it's a difficult thing to uh, go through in life if you're walking with worry. And so like a good father, just like I was telling my son, like a good father, Jesus instructs us not to worry. Open up to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to pick it up in verse 25. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25, let me pray as you're finding your way there. Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus, we thank you for being so good to us. You're a good God. You love us. Your mercies are new morning by morning. And as a good father, you're giving us good instruction. For we know uh, that there are many things in this world that are scary to us. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's dark things out there. And Lord, we're prone to get worried. But Lord, like a good father, you come and you speak to us. And you give us great instruction on why we shouldn't worry. Help us now, Lord, to receive your instruction. That we might walk with you in faith. Lord, build us, grow us. We present ourselves to you. We've come to hear your voice. May you speak to each and every one personally and privately, Lord. Directly you to them, by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Sermon on the Mount, the middle of it, Matthew 6, verse 25, Jesus speaking. These are the red letters. These are the golden words. Uh, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Jesus tells us not to worry. Jesus instructs us not to worry. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. For his life is not life more than food, and is the body not more than clothing. What is Jesus saying? There is more to life than food and clothing. And stuff. Uh, I know some people live to eat. <laughs> That's a mistake. Uh, nothing wrong with enjoying a good meal, but don't live to eat. And we're prone to be living for stuff. And here Jesus says, listen, life is not about just eating and drinking and what you're going to buy and what you're going to wear and all that kind of stuff. There's more to life. Is there not more to life than food and clothing? Great 
question. Are you going to spend all your time worried about your stuff? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor they reap. They don't plant crops, in other words. They don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here's another question. Are you not of more value than they? Wow, good questions, good questions. And right out of the gate, Jesus tells us, hey, there's more to life than food and clothing. There's more to life than stuff. Uh, Be careful, uh, because if you're living for material things, here's what's going to happen. You're going to miss out on the things of life. Uh, You are a marvelous creation. You are made by God. And you will never be satisfied with stuff. And so be careful that you're not living for stuff. Because here's what happens. As soon as you get stuff, new stuff comes out. (laughs) And the stuff that you were living for is now worthless. As soon as you get the M1, they'll make an M2. And as soon as you get the M2, they'll make an M3. And it doesn't matter if that's a car or a computer or anything else. The principle is the same. And getting it doesn't bring life. And so Jesus would say, don't you realize that your life is far more valuable than stuff? Why then are you living for stuff? Then you get the stuff and you worry about it. You worry about the stuff you just got. What if my stuff gets dirty? What if my stuff gets scratched? They're wearing the shoes on my stuff. Take your shoes off when you step on my stuff. (laughs) And now we're worried about our stuff. And I want you to know, Jesus is teaching, we will never be satisfied with material things. Why? Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are incredibly complex. If you're a woman, you are really complex. (laughs) That's a joke. (laughs) Because you're that complex. (laughs) Uh, But all joking aside, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know you have a soul? And you have a spirit, and you have a mind, and you have a heart, and you don't even know where these things are. You don't even know the the distinction between these things, but God does. He made you incredibly complex, and you were made in God's image, and what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but one thing it means for sure is God is a relational being. The Bible teaches us things about God that are bigger than we can grasp or understand in our finite, uh, limited ability. But God is a triune God, a trinity 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. Already, that's way bigger than we could ever know or understand. But the Bible would teach us that there is an intimacy, there is a relationship, there is a fellowship that is so remarkable in this Trinity that the Father is always in intense intimacy and relationship with the Son. And the Son is always in relationship and intimacy with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit with the Father, and, and each way it goes. Uh, I want you to know, God did not create you because he was lonely. God did not create you because he needed anything. God was perfectly content in an amazing, abounding, powerful relationship with the Godhead. And God created everything because God is a marvelous artist. He is a creator. He is a builder. He loves to pour into others. He is a giver. He loves to give and to raise up and to cre create magnificent things. And you are the pinnacle of his creation. God made all of the earth in all of its abundance. And it is a glorious, beautiful place, man. I know we get so caught up with a screen in front of us 24-7 watching the news and watching bad things. And I would encourage you, get outside and be reminded how glorious the world is. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. You look at the skyline, it is so beautiful, and you're like, wow, Lord, you're amazing, right? And get out and enjoy it all. But I want you to remember this. God created all of the earth, and he said, Adam, Eve, I give it all to you. I didn't create this for me. I created it for you. Rule over it. Have dominion. Uh, name all the animals. Ride on a giraffe. Use an ox to plow your field. Do whatever you want. I've created all of this for you, but I have created you for me. And that makes you incredibly complex. And we will not find fulfillment. We will not find life. Actually, just the opposite. We will miss out on fulfillment. And we will miss out on life if we are looking for it anywhere else but in God. If you're living for material things, you are missing out on life. You are a complex creation and you will never be satisfied with stuff. You were made by God and you were made for God. And only when we are in a right relationship with him will life be abundant and full. And anything else, you will look back and go, gosh, why did I waste those 10 years of my life? Why did I waste those two decades of my life chasing stuff, chasing things that fame and money and things that I thought would bring me joy? What a fool I was. And uh, you, don't, you only have so many decades, man. Don't waste them. Don't waste them. There is a Westminster, Westminster Catechism. How many of you have ever heard of that? How many of you know what it is by a show of hands? More than I thought. Way to go. Good job. Uh, I have it for you on your screens. Uh, let me hear you read this. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I love that. Man's chief and highest end is to know and to glorify God and to enjoy him forever.
God's ways are good. They're not rules that are like, oh, you got to do it, you got to do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do it. No, 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 no. They're instructions for life. And when you walk in them, you are going to enjoy him forever. The Bible would teach that at, you, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I guarantee you all the things that you desire in life, uh, maybe you, you know, you, you, uh, you desire food, you desire sex, you desire uh, uh, being appreciated. Uh, all these things are God's design. And they are the most desirable and most fulfilling when we have them in the proper context. Uh, they are good. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is the fullness of joy. And man's chief end is to know God's ways, to glorify God, and to be uh, in a place where we're just enjoying him in this life and forever. Uh, it is a beautiful uh, catechism and, and uh, a beautiful truth about life. But the problem is we can easily waste our life seeking the wrong things. Material possessions, wealth, fame, pleasure. But I want you to know they cannot satisfy. They cannot build the human soul Actually, all they will do is diminish you because you are that complex. You are that amazingly made. Uh, so Jesus would tell us, be careful then what you treasure. And what you treasure and worry are tied in together very closely. So let's go back to verse 19 and let's look at what Jesus says about this. Same chapter, Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus speaking, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, where inflation comes and diminishes. You have a 401k. Be careful you don't make it your treasure. Because it will diminish. We have seen inflation go up radically. And that $100 in your 401k won't buy the same stuff it bought just 10 years ago. It's been diminished. And you can put all that in the stock market and the stock market will crash. And you're putting your treasure into something that is unsustainable. Uh, he says, instead, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, uh, lay up for yourself treasures where your treasures will be permanent and will be substantial and will remain forever. Uh, we want to be wise, right? Uh, here, uh, uh, Jesus is telling us there's more to life than food and clothing. Be careful, man. Be careful what you treasure. Guys, can you please on the slides, uh, uh, put that next slide up for me? Uh, <clears throat> oh, that, that wasn't it, but that'll work. So let's, we'll stay there. Uh, so, so uh, here we see, uh, Jesus taught us some remarkable dictums. And the first one is here, be careful to treasure the right things. Be careful that you're valuing the right things. Be careful that you're wanting the right things. Why? Because stock markets will crash. I want you to know the Bible tells us very clearly 
There is a time coming, and we are on the razor's edge of that time coming when there's going to be a digital currency worldwide. And we are on the doors, man. We are on the razor's edge of this digital currency that's coming. And if you are a student of economics, if you know history, you know that any time a nation introduces a new currency, what happens to the old currency? It's gone. It is worthless. And your bills will be worthless. Uh, and we know, the Bible teaches very clearly, we're looking at what, going, what is going on in the world, and be wise, man, it is at the doors. We have Israel fighting with the Gaza Strip on the south against Hamas, and already Hezbollah up to the north is already starting to cause some problems. And it's all being funded by Iran. And what the Bible teaches is remarkable because all these things describe this upcoming battle that is going to be the last battle on the earth. And it is on the razor's edge of coming into fruition. Russia, uh, regardless of what you see, uh, Russia is stomping on Ukraine. Uh, there have been, if I, my memory is correct, there have been uh, 400,000 deaths in Ukraine. Oh, that is incredible. And pumping more money in it uh, is, doesn't seem to be working thus far. Uh, this week, we sent four aircraft carriers, four, to the Mediterranean. We had one there. We sent four. Why? Why? Uh, by the way, uh, there are only seven in operation at any time. We sent four to the Mediterranean. That's a pretty big percent. Why? To deal with Gaza? Not a chance. So why do we send four aircraft carriers to the Mediterranean? Well, because Israel and the United States are talking, and there's someone funding all this stuff going on in Iran, excuse me, in, in Gaza. It's Iran, and Iran is on the edge of nuclear warfare, and we have sent big ships. Uh, not hard to see what is going on. And what's fascinating is, and I need to get back onto our study, uh, <laughs> what's fascinating is that this is exactly what the Bible said would happen in the last times. I did a talk a while back titled Russia in the Last Days. You might want to study that. Uh, it is beginning to happen if uh, Iran and Russia are in tight together right now, really tight together. Uh, the, uh, Russia's buying drones from Iran and, and uh, they're supplying each other. Russia trained uh, these uh, fighters that were in Gaza from Hamas. They trained them uh, and and if, if Iran comes down from the north, uh, man, now we are watching what happened in Ezekiel 38 and 39 come into fruition. And there is a one world currency coming. And I tell you, uh, be careful where you lay up your treasures. Because they could be gone in a moment. And the next thing that he tells us, uh, take a look at this. Verse 21 where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wow. Uh, we have that backwards. We think our, 
Our treasure will be where our heart is. But that is not how it works. Our heart will be where? Where our treasure is. Very different. Uh, and so our treasure, what we treasure, controls our heart. So Jesus says, be careful to treasure the right things because what we treasure will control your heart. Uh, and then look what he says next, verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, if your eye values the right things, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, you value the wrong things. Your whole body will be full of darkness. Uh, what is Jesus telling us? Well, he's telling us, be careful to treasure the right things because what we treasure controls our heart and our heart controls our vision. And you see this in the world today like never before. We are more polarized than we have ever been before. And light and darkness are at odds more than ever before. And you can lay out the most brilliant argument of with facts and truth and everything about why something should be a certain way and a person on the other side of the aisle won't be able to see it, won't understand any of it and, and they'll be uh, radically illogical in their approach. Why? Well, here's why. Because your heart controls your vision, your worldview, what you value. And notice the progression. These are wise dictums that Jesus is giving us. Be careful that you value the right things. Well, why? Why is that such a big deal? Be careful that you treasure the right things. Why? Why? Because your treasure controls your heart. And your heart controls your vision. Interesting. Look, look what else he says. Second half of verse 23. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness... How great is that darkness? If your vision, if your paradigm, if your worldview is dark, is evil, it's the greatest of darkness. Because you're going to think you're fighting for what's good and you're actually fighting for what? For evil. And so he says, if our vision is wrong, if our vision is dark, we're in severe trouble. And it all begins with what you treasure. So interesting, man. So interesting. The wisdom of Jesus as he unpacks this for us is remarkable. Uh, be careful. Our heart was made for God. It is extremely valuable. And it must be properly kept. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And we think it's the other way around. And Jesus says, it's not. The things that you treasure will steal your heart and you, you want to properly keep your heart because it is extremely valuable. If our heart is given to any other treasure than to God, I want you to know we are diminished. We are the ones that become less. God is the only treasure grand enough to satisfy the human heart to sustain the human heart, to build the human heart. All other treasures will leave us empty, longing, and broken. And they will reduce us to less than what we are intended to be. And so it begs the question this morning. Let's get some personal application, some personal reflection. 
What are you treasuring? What are you treasuring? What is your master passion? What is uh, the desire of your heart? Because it will affect where your heart is, what your vision is, and if your vision is messed up, you're in a really bad spot. And Jesus will reveal something else really profound about our heart. Our heart can only have one love or one treasure. Look what he says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate one and love the other. Or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. Or he will be faithful to one and unfaithful to the other. And he says, listen, you cannot serve God and mammon. God is saying, Jesus is saying, if, 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 if God does not have our heart, if, if money has our heart, then God doesn't have our heart. If some other pursuit that we're after, fame has your heart, then God doesn't have your heart. If some other love has your heart, then God doesn't have your heart. Your heart can only have one love. Uh, very interesting. I want you to know, Jesus is not against wealth. Jesus is not against wealth. Uh, God uh, says... Uh, a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, that inheritance better be a lot more than just money. I hope to pass on things far greater than money, a greater inheritance to my children and to my children's children. Uh, and I'm already working on doing that. But uh, I want you to know the Bible is not against wealth. Uh, the Bible is against loving wealth. Big difference. Treasuring wealth. Uh, be careful what you treasure. The Bible is against, God is against you treasuring anything other than God. And it's interesting that we don't have to be wealthy to love wealth. We don't have to be wealthy to treasure wealth. People rich and poor often treasure wealth, love wealth, and they think it will fix all their problems. Well, if I could just get out of debt, if I could just get more money, if I could just get, then my life would be set. And so we go through life that way and we think, man, if I could make, if I could get to 50 grand in my salary, then I'd be set. And then you make 50 grand. And you go, I didn't really mean 50. <laughs> what I meant was 75. And then you get to 75 and you're like, well, I, I, I was young. Uh, I need six figures. If I could get to 100, and then you get 100. And you go, well, inflation. <laughs> If I could get to 150, and it just never ends. It never ends. Uh, you're never satisfied. It's always insatiable. And if you think that you're treasuring this, and when I get there, my life will be set, Jesus says, the light that is in you is darkness, and you are in great darkness. It will not take you anywhere, and your heart is in the wrong place. If Jesus is our treasure, uh, Everything has changed. Uh, we need to be careful what we're treasuring. Many in the church today love money. And the fact that we're sitting here uh, worshiping Jesus does not mean we're not treasuring money, that our treasure isn't money. May we be wise. And I want you to know, if money has your heart, God doesn't. 
Uh, that's what verse 24 is all about. Uh, that is why God commands us to be generous and to tithe, to put him first. Uh, God actually says that when you tithe, you're not giving to God. You're only giving back to God what is already his. God gave that to you. It was already his. And he says, if you don't give it back to him, you're stealing from him. That's the verse in Malachi. Why have you robbed me with tithes and offerings? What do you mean robbed you? Uh, uh, it was mine. I gave it to you to see what you would do with it, to see what was in your heart. And can I give you a stinger? Uh, by the way, if you're new here, we never talk about tithing. Just ask the people next to you. I'm not talking about tithing because we're doing a building campaign or something. I mean, not at all. I'm talking about tithing because I care about your heart. Uh, so I don't want your money. Uh, but let me tell you what, Jesus, what God says. The reason he tells us to tithe, what does tithe mean? Tithe is 10%. It's your very, uh, the, the, tithe means 10th. And it's what you give to God first. Before you pay your taxes, before you pay Uncle Sam, before, before you pay your bills, before anything. <clears throat> you give God a tithe first. God says it was already mine. I gave you the 90% to do what you want with. But I gave you that to see if you were faithful. And here's, here's what I, this is the part that might sting. If you're not tithing, it reveals that your treasure is money, not God. No, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. I love God. Uh, I'll just, I hate to tell you, no, you don't. You love money. Money is your treasure. And where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Money has your heart. God doesn't have your heart. Uh, so be careful. That's why God tells us to be generous and to tithe because generosity keeps our heart from loving money. And here's the beautiful thing. If Jesus is our treasure, we can live our lives without worry. We can leave our, live our lives without uh, uh, getting caught up in the wrong pursuits and living for stuff uh, uh, we can have a powerful, meaningful life. Look again. Let's read again verse 25. I know we read it, but let's look at it again. Therefore, I say to you, Jesus speaking, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. It absolutely is. And if you are living for those things, you are missing out on the abundant life. And Jesus would say, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't plant, they don't, they don't reap, they don't do crops. Uh, they just gather daily, uh, they just eat daily. That God provides for them, he feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? What's the answer to that question? Yes. yes. But you know what? We live in a world that doesn't know the answer to that question. That values animals more than humans. Do you know we have laws right now? A eagle egg, it's a felony if you break an eagle egg. You'll go to jail. But you can kill a baby, no problem. Why? Because our treasure is in the right, wrong place. And your treasure controls your vision. 
And if your vision is dark, you're in the greatest of darkness. So you'll go to prison for breaking an eagle egg, but you'll go to Starbucks for having an abortion. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, crazy world that we're living in. Um, look what he says here. Uh, why do you worry? Uh, why are you worrying about your life? Worry reveals something. Worry reveals that we do not comprehend how much God values us. Worry reveals that we don't understand our worth in God's eyes. Uh, the reason we don't understand it is because we don't feel that worthy based on what we do. Well, our worth has nothing to do with what we do. Our worth has everything to do with who created us. Uh, a baby in the crib doesn't find its worth for what it does for the parents. It finds its worth from the parents' unwavering love for the child. And uh, that is only a microcosm of our worth in God's eyes. Uh, <clears throat> are you not worth more than many birds, Jesus would say? And the obvious answer is yes. Uh, now, interesting to me, uh, how many creatures are on this earth? I'd like to hear your answer. How many creatures do you think are on this earth? Anybody have a, a, a guess? A lot, yeah, a lot. Uh, the earth is amazing. It is just teeming with life. Uh, I was blown away. I did a little research. Uh, listen to this. Uh, after scientists compiled a database of DNA sequence, sequences of 5 million species taken from 35,000 sites around the world, they concluded that there are a staggering one trillion living species on the earth. One trillion, not animals, species. Crazy. A trillion species. Here's the problem with that number. That number is so big, we have no idea what it means. We have no idea how much a trillion is. Well, a trillion is one billion a thousand times. Problem? A billion is so big, we have no idea what that means. So let me give it to you this way. It would take you 31,710 years to count to a trillion. If you counted one number per second, it would take you 31,710 years to count to a trillion. A trillion's a lot. Uh, amazing, right? Uh, that's more species on the earth than they estimate there are stars in the Milky Way galaxy. That number is so big, it is too big to comprehend. So I have a picture of a dollar to show you that might help you. This might also help you, by the way, as a free added bonus, understanding our national debt. <laughs> which is out of control. So take a look. Here's a, a $100 bill. Uh, over here on the bottom left, here's a man that is 5 foot 10 inches tall standing next to $1 million in $100 bills. And that is the scale that you can see, uh, smaller than I thought it would be, of how much a million dollars is in $100 bills. Uh, in the middle is the uh, same guy uh, standing next to $100 million stacked up and piled of $100 bills. 
Here's a picture of a guy standing next to a billion dollars with $100 bills. You can see the pallets there, eight different pallets stacked up that high, going way, way down. That is one billion. Isn't it crazy how in our government now we're throwing around a billion dollars like nothing? Like nothing, right? Uh, I just want to show you, it's a lot of money. Uh, but how much is a trillion? Uh, let's look at the next slide. Well, there is a billion, and, and now you stack that up too high, and a trillion, double stacked in pallets, there's your five foot ten man in the corner. That's how big a trillion is. Uh, no extra charge for you understanding the national debt a little better. Now, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about there are a trillion species on earth. That is amazing. And if there are one trillion species, how many individual animals are living on the earth right now? If there are a trillion species, can you even imagine? Well, the best estimate is that there are 20 quintillion animals living on the earth. And you say, how much is a quintillion? I don't know. <laughs> Count to a billion, 20 billion times, and you will have 20 quintillion. Uh, and you, that's how many animals, how many uh, living beings are on this earth. And can I tell you something? Every single one of them woke up this morning hungry. And God fed every single one of them. From the worm to the whale, God fed every single one of them. And here is Jesus' question, are you not more valuable than they? And the answer, yes. I already said, God made all the earth, all the animals. And he said, Adam, Eve, that's just for you guys. You guys are for me. And so if we worry, we clearly do not understand, we do not comprehend how much God values us. May we be wise. May we pay attention. Uh, worrying makes no sense. It reveals we don't understand the infinite worth that God has placed on us. Uh, what a good God. Uh, that is where we get our significance, not from what we do, but from whose we are. Uh, amazing to consider God's love for us. So Jesus, then the next thing he tells us is that worrying is a waste of time. Look at verse 27. Which of you, by worry, here's our, our question, which of you, by worry, can add one cubit to a stature? None of us. None of us. Worrying will never make you grow, Jesus is saying. I know you think you're going to grow better by worrying. You're not going to grow. You won't even be able to add one cubit to your stature. Worrying doesn't accomplish any good. Worry is a wasted energy. It does no good whatsoever. Worry will not add one, one inch to your height. Worrying will not add one hour to your life. Uh, worrying will not make one hair gray black. Uh, if I could, I'd worry them all back. I would. Uh, uh, worrying won't do it. As a matter of fact, worrying will do just the opposite. It will destroy us. It will rob us of our joy. 
We cannot change the past, but we can ruin the present by worrying about the future. Did you catch that? We cannot change the past, but we can ruin the present by worrying about the future. Worrying does no good. Uh, I mentioned that Gallup poll. 42% of the world had significant worry in the last 24 hours. Do you know what that means? Their joy for that day was robbed from them by their worries about tomorrow. It's wasted energy. It's wasted energy. Jesus tells us uh, uh, that it's a wasted energy in verse 27. And now in verse 28, look what he says. He tells you, uh, tells us not to worry because he will take care of all of our needs. Uh, look at this, verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Uh, you've never seen a flower going, gotta get bigger, man, gotta get bigger. I just want to be like my neighbor flower. Uh, never. Uh, they don't toil. They don't spin. They don't grunt. They don't groan. And yet I say to you, verse 29, that even Solomon, the richest man on the earth, in his zenith, when he was at the pinnacle of his career, of his kingdom, the king of all the earth, the richest man on the earth, even Solomon and all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. His glory did not match the glory that God gives the flowers in the field. Have you ever looked at a sunset? And you go there and it's like I never tire of seeing them. Uh, Lisa and I just love to go for a walk at sunset and watch the suns. The beautiful hues, the colors, it is magnificent. And it is like, it doesn't need to be that beautiful. You look at it and you're like, why? Why? Uh, well, because the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. And here's the question. If God clothes that sunset with such glory that only lasts for how long? 30 minutes. And it's gone. Will he not much more clothe you with glory? What are you worried about? What are you stressing over? I'll take care of all of your needs. Uh, look, just astonished. I love, I love looking at the, look what he says. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Uh, uh, those flowers in the field, they only last for a couple days. Uh, I love looking at the, the, you know, I think you know this about me. I love nature. I love going to Torrey Pines and going through the hike. And you see all those little daisies on the ground, those little yellow flowers, the mustards and all. I just, you look at it, it's beautiful. Uh, your backyard doesn't look that good. <laughs> Manicured, right? It just, we can't compare with nature. Uh, and God says, listen, I clothe, look at the mountainscape. I, your living room can't get that good, man. Look at, the, look at the sunset, and it's only there for 30 minutes. Look how I clothe it. Uh, why are you worried? Uh, will I not clothe you? Uh, now, I love, by the way, how God clothes us. 
God clothes us with incredible beauty. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering, patience, wisdom, grace, kindness, discernment. And these are the things that God wants to clothe you with. And when you are clothed with these things, you will glorify God and you will enjoy him forever. Your life will speak loudly. And God says, listen, pay attention. Do you know why I, I ordain, excuse me, uh, adorn that sun, sunset so beautifully every single day? Do you know why I adorn that jacaranda with such beauty for a just short season? So that you might let me clothe you with real beauty. Why are you worrying about these things? Jesus would say. Verse 31. uh, The end of verse 30. If God uh, uh, clothes the sunset like that, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Uh, Grow in your faith. Pay attention. Verse 31. Therefore do not worry, saying what we shall eat, or what we shall drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Uh, what is, give me a synonym for Gentiles. What does that mean? Dog. Uh, not dogs. That was harsh. Uh, <laughs> what, what does he mean? Non-believers. Or in other words, I'm going to use a, a crass word. For all these things, bastard children seek. But you have a heavenly father. Why are you seeking things that bastard children seek? Why are you scrounging for a morsel when you have a heavenly father who's adopted you as his own, who owns the kingdom and will provide you with all the riches and clothe you in radiance? Why are you going around as a child who has no father? For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Uh, unbelievers, all they care about is clothes and looking good and being popular and, and their eyes don't see properly. The, the light that is in them is darkness. You're a child of God. And so Jesus would say, hey, be careful. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will add it unto you. I'll take care of all of it. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, don't worry, man. Jesus saying, I'm your heavenly father. I'll take care of everything for you. And I want you to consider this. Uh, I'm going to put it on your screens for you. Faith and worry are mutually exclusive. This is so important. I'd like to hear you say these words to help get them in your heart. Will you read this for me? Faith and worry are mutually exclusive. What does that mean? Well, I can't be worrying about something and also have faith. For if I'm worrying, it reveals I don't have faith. And if I have faith, I can't be worrying. 
Because if I have faith, I'm not going to be worried about anything. Faith and worry are mutually exclusive. I want you to know that every tomorrow has two handles on it. Faith, one handle, and worry, another handle. Every problem you will ever face has two and only two handles on it. Faith and worry. And God gives you free choice of which handle you're going to hold it by. You can hold tomorrow by the handle of worry, or you can hold tomorrow by the handle of faith. You can hold your problem by the handle of worry, or you can hold your problem by the handle of faith. Choice is yours. There are only two handles. Worry is rooted in fear and uncertainty and the need for control. Why do we love money so much? Why is money our treasure? Here's why. We want to be in control. What if my transmission breaks? Well, with money, I can be in control. What if my refrigerator breaks? Well, my wife would be happy. She wants a new refrigerator. Uh, with money, I can buy a new one, right? Uh, we love control. Uh, Worry is rooted in these three things. Fear, uncertainty, and the need for control. Faith is rooted in something far more substantial. Faith is rooted in God's sovereign power. The one who spoke the universe into existence. And in God's unmerited love for us. And in God's immutable nature. And in the surety of his word. That's what faith is rooted in. These are substantial things. God's sovereign power. Light be and light was. God's sovereignty over all things. That whatever you are going through, God has ordained it. I want you to know if you are a believer, if, you, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, you have an amazing privilege that everything that comes your way in life is Father-filtered. God is sovereign over all of it. And his unmerited love for us, that was demonstrated clearly 2,000 years ago on the cross. That God would leave heaven and become a man. For the sake of showing you how to live your life. For the sake of showing you what it means to know God. For the sake of showing us who God really is. Jesus said, if you've seen God, you, if you've seen me, you've seen God. If you've known me, you've known the Father. And Jesus came to earth to go to a cross and to pay the punishment of our sins so that all of our wrongdoing, all of our faults, all of our, our, our wretched evil would be cleansed and forgiven without anything that we do, all by his grace and by his mercy, all by his unmerited love for us. That's amazing. That's what faith is rooted in. Faith is rooted in his immutable nature. What does that mean? Immutable means unchangeable. 
What does that mean? It means that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that mean? It means that if Jesus went to the cross for you because he wanted to forgive you of sin, he wanted to cleanse you, and he wanted to give you salvation as a free gift, and holiness as a free gift, and righteousness as a free gift, he is the same today. It's still what he desires to do. We often don't appreciate his unmutability enough, uh, his immutability. He is, is, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is gracious. He is kind. He is long-suffering. All these attributes of him do not change. And I am so thankful. If it was his desire to go to a cross for me 2,000 years ago, it's his desire to save me today. And I'm so thankful and then the surety of his word. Uh, we, we bank on that. We, our, our, our faith is in that so that when we look at a problem, uh, we trust God's sovereignty. We trust his love for us. We trust his uh, unchangeable nature. And we can then look at his word and get direction so that I don't make a decision regarding a problem I'm facing based on my emotional feelings or my felt needs at the time and make the wrong decision. I can bring that desire to the word of God and learn the right path and make the right decision. And so faith and worry are mutually exclusive. When we choose worry as the handle to deal with tomorrow, we inadvertently invite stress and negative thoughts and a diminished perspective into our situation. We limit our vision, in other words, for dealing with the problem that we're facing. When worry is our handle, our focus will be so fixated on potential pitfalls that it will hinder our ability to see new opportunities or to learn from these new challenges that are in front of us and to enjoy the present moment that we're walking in. I have three grandkids, uh, two that are born, one in the oven. And my son Ryan took uh, my grandson Owen, who's uh, about a year and a half, uh, 16 months, to Legoland for the first time this week. And I'd get videos on every ride that they went on. And like Legoland is not a theme park, man. It is so wimpy, it's unbelievable, right? It's like, it's like ridiculous. But when you are 16 months old, it's scary. It's scary. And hey, buddy, you want to go on the Lego coaster? Uh, and like, I don't know. I have worries. <laughs> but it's okay, buddy. Dad's with you. And so he gets on that little coaster. And I can see the fear on his face, right? And he goes on that little coaster. And, and his dad's saying, it's okay. It's almost over. It's almost over. We're almost done. And he gets done. And he's like, I went on the roller coaster, right? And what happened? He grew. He experienced something that was scary, but now he's like got new vision for it. And now it's not scary anymore. And now I can handle this. And now I want to do it again. And now I'm not afraid of it. And now I'm bigger than I was before. And dad, it's because you were sitting next to me that all these things became possible. 
You see, faith is rooted on God's sovereign power, on his unmerited love for us, on his immutable nature, and on the surety of his word that will lead, guide, and direct us so that we can grow and experience new things. Awesome. When we choose faith as our handle, it introduces us to an element of hope and optimism because we believe that God is with us in this present situation. And so I can go on this scary roller coaster. I can handle this problem because, God, I know you're with me. And now, without optimism, without hope, we're able to embrace these problems with courage and an open mindset that enables us to see new possibilities that we could not otherwise see without God sitting right next to us. And instead of being paralyzed by fear and having tunnel vision to not see any periphery to be able to see a solution to this problem, we'll now be walking in faith and God will open our eyes and give us wisdom to deal with something that we thought was scary and we'll go, oh my gosh, that was amazing and I'm taller for it. Lord, I loved it. Life is amazing. And we will quote the Westminster Catechism. Man's chief end is to know you, God, to glorify you, to walk in your ways, and to delight in you forever. For at your right hand is the fullness of joy. Uh, Excuse me, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, That's the Bible, man. Uh, And that's amazing. Faith empowers us to confront the unknown with a positive outlook and an unwavering belief that all things will work together for good because God loves me and because I'm called according to his purposes. Uh, Romans 8, 28, right? I mean, we all know that verse. Uh, And choosing faith as our handle when we face tomorrow, uh, choosing faith as our handle when we face a problem grants us the ability to adapt and to grow and to find meaning even in the face of adversity. And instead of trusting our, in, our finite ability, we trust in God's infinite sovereignty and his goodness and we grow, which is why Philippians tells us, instead of worrying, it says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all, for the Lord is at hand. He's sitting right next to you in the roller coaster. And be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with thanks and with gratitude, let your requests be made known to the Lord, with prayers and with supplication. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Therefore, whatever things are true, whatever things are good, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, whatever things are right, whatever things are God's word, meditate on these things. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Which of you, by worry can add one inch to your height. Which of you by worry will ever grow and be more wise? Therefore, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Look how Jesus wraps this up. 
Last two verses. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. All of life. Everything you ever needed will be added unto you. Why do you worry about tomorrow? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. You just trust me, walk with me, and let me do amazing things in your life to the praise and glory of God. And you know what will happen? You will know him, you will glorify him, and you will enjoy him, delight in him forever. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.